0: That that most famous of all psalms talks about the initiating gracious mercy of the living God. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down. He leads me beside. He takes me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, shepherding God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's the cry of the believer as we look to the Lord. We say, God, you are good. You are for me. As Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, then who can be against us? That same hope is mirrored in this book called First Peter, where Peter is writing to elect exiles who are scattered abroad, Asia Minor, who are going into a season of what we call soft persecution where they would be maligned and abandoned and pushed into the corner and passed over. And Peter says, go forward, trust the Lord, because you have a hope that carries you through the darkness. And as we study this passage, we come to chapter one and verse 13, where Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. And be sober in spirit and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus comes again. Well, whenever you do a study of the scripture, you ask yourself, when you come to the word therefore, what does that word point back to? And the therefore points to the preceding 12 verses. Where Peter just lays out in a beautiful fashion the glory and goodness of the triune God in our lives before he tells them to do anything, before he exhorts them to do anything. He he lays this out not until verse 13 as he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober minded, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So when you're studying the Bible, we come to a word like therefore, you've got to look at the passage in context. And I would think that if you were just preaching this passage as a standalone passage and you began with verse 13, I believe you do violence to Peter's whole argument. You've got to go back and rehearse what the Lord has said. I was thinking about these building blocks. I thought about these building blocks. I thought about something I read years ago about a football team in the mid-1930s at Fordham University. And the Fordham Rams. And at that time, Fordham was a national powerhouse along with the University of Chicago, teams that are not powerhouses now. And Fordham had, at that time, what people said the, the greatest offensive line in the history of college football. They called them the Seven Blocks of Granite. And the largest offensive lineman was 6'1", 235 pounds, which would, in today's environment, be called peewee. And so the most famous of the seven blocks of Grand eventually was an undersized right guard that never cried uncle, never gave up, and his went by the name of Vince Lombardi, if you're a football fan, Vince Lombardi. They were undefeated, supposed to go in the national championship, and a vastly inferior team, the New York paper said, came to town and defeated them, diminishing, putting to death their National hopes. That team was from a place called Athens, Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs. But I thought about the seven blocks of granite, and I thought about, about what Peter is saying here, and really he, he gives us six blocks of granite, or more. I'm just going to mention six blocks of granite that, that, that carry us through the difficult times that allow us to say, therefore, fix your mind completely on the grace to be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus, on, on the hope to be brought to you when Christ is revealed. So I've got these building blocks up here. Just so in the future, what were these blocks for? He held up these building blocks. I got six of them. So building block number one is in verse three. Or verse two, really, he says, he says, You have been eternally loved, elect exile, by the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. For obedience to Jesus and sprinkling with his blood. So so building block number one, as you build your hope, is to realize you're you, believer in Jesus, are eternally loved of God. The Trinitarian love of the Lord poured out in your life, and you build your destiny on that. So, so building block number one, building block number two is you've been born again to a living hope. God has caused you to be born again you have the new life in Christ and this new life in Christ leads to a living hope a life enhancing hope a life giving hope we are hopeful people because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead so building block number two is a living hope building block number three is we've received an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, and it will not fade away. The inheritance isn't affected by the market-driven stock exchange. The inheritance isn't driven by the whims of a wealthy uncle who may change his will at the last moment. The inheritance is fixed in heaven for you and is imperishable. It is undefiled, and it will not fade away. That gives you hope, that carries you through the darkness, through difficult times and and you step back and you say well number 4 you say well persecution hard times can i really endure <clears throat> i know my heart my heart is fickle i'm not the person i should be often so so how do i know i will endure building block number 4 you are protected by the power of god through faith you're protected You you are protected by the power of God. See, God, by His Holy Spirit, energizes, encourages, builds, strengthens you. Building block number five. When you have trials, and we will have trials, the Father is using these trials to build us and strengthen us and teach us. So so church in Asia Minor, as you go through difficult times and as you are lampooned and maligned and pushed aside, God is using that to shape your character. And there is a glorious day coming called the day of the coming of Jesus, where those who walk in the way of faith and obedience will receive praise and glory and honor. It's a wild statement. It's a wild statement. And you will hear this phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. So building block number five is the glory of the coming of Christ. Praise, glory, and honor. And then building block number six, I'll just briefly touch on. this in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, which speaks of the complete and glorious revelation that is found and is exhibited and realized in Christ. Listen to the Scripture. This is chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, building block number six, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves. But you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels stand on tiptoes trying to look into what you see. And so building block number six is all the promises of God in the Old Testament. All the sacrificial system, foreshadowings, and types are fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. He is the revelation of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is Lord and Savior. So building block number six. It says in Luke chapter 25, this, on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, says that, He was talking to these men and they said, haven't you heard what's happened in Jerusalem? And How some of the women of our company amazed us and they were at the tomb early in the morning. These two men are talking to Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all the prophecy had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ is saying, I, I'm the fulfillment of all these promises. Look. No. And so, so we, 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 we glory in that. We, we rejoice in that. Christ is the fulfillment. As the Christmas hymn says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, O little town of Bethlehem. For Charles Wesley's hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Born to Set Thy People Free From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. See that? Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. So all the promises fulfilled and met in Christ. Church, as I look at this, I ask myself, I ask you, Are you building your hope on this foundation, or are you building your hope on something else? And uh, do do I really get and glory in the goodness of the cross? You've heard people say something like this, religion is nothing more than a crutch. And whenever I hear that bannered about, I always want to kind of sort of jump in and say, you're right if you're talking about the Christian faith. But if you're a study of comparative religions, that's not true. You see, in Islam, in Buddhism and Hinduism, I mean, they're very different, but especially Islam... uh, You work hard to commend yourself to the God who is there. And so if you're Islamic, you just work hard. Islam has no concept of sin. No concept of sin. So you just work really hard, and you do the five pillars of Islam, and your hope is that at the end of your days, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. So religion is not a crutch. Religion is a a platform from which you shout your worthiness If you're a Buddhist or Hindu, you know, Buddhism came out of Hinduism to a degree, you are feverishly working in such a way that in the next transmigration of the soul and reincarnation, you come back in a higher life form with more privileges. And eventually after going through that time, that time after time after time after time, you're absorbed into the universe and some type of eternal bliss with a God who cannot be defined. So again, religion is a platform which, from which you shout your worthiness, the Christian faith. Listen, the, the faith of the Bible, to my knowledge, is the only world religion that says we walk with limps, That, that we are broken people. That we are sinners. If you come to church and you think, We're just, I'm just surrounded by awesome people. You're theologically wrong and pragmatically wrong. You are surrounded by broken people who have tasted the grace of Christ and they walk with limps. Uh, nobody, Nobody has it together. We're not awesome people. We're people who walk. With limp. So, so I, I back up and I say, am, am I going to build my hope, my destiny, on, on, on my accomplishments, my achievements, my acceptance, whatever, are on the foundation. The, the, the blocks of granite that Peter so beautifully lays out. Uh, this past Wednesday, we had a groundbreaking for our Student Life Center. It was a wonderful event, a lot of energy, a lot of heat food, and I, I, I saw these kids running around and going everywhere, and, and then I, I, I've been dealing with this text and thinking through this text, and so it was kind of on my brain, and, and, and I thought these, these little children who have been raised in an environment who have been taught the things of Christ are in a more privileged position than the Old Testament prophets, even Isaiah or King David. Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says this, it's an amazing statement, to a bunch of disciples, many of whom were rough-hewn fishermen, blessed are your ears in what they hear and your eyes and what they see. For I tell you that many righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and long to hear what you hear but they did not hear it. So, so to to me, the the most basic disciple of Jesus who has read through the gospel and understands the cross is in a far superior position than any Old Testament prophet. They longed for these things. Angels stand on tiptoes. We see it. We glory in it. Therefore, therefore, see, therefore, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. As you build your life on the granite stones of the gospel, rejoice in the goodness of God. Fix your hope completely. Are you going to fix your hope completely on that or something else? I, I vote for this. For Peter says, so it's Peter's pleading. And as he says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to the revelation of Jesus Christ, he, he gives two supporting avenues of, of, of endeavor we should go for. The first is prepare your minds for action. And the second is be sober in your spirit. So so first of all, prepare your minds for action. The word for prepare in some translation is translated gird up. The loins of your mind, gird them up. And what that means is what what Peter's saying is turn your flowing robes into running shorts. So, so when you gird up gird your loins faith. If, you, if you Google "gird up your loins," which is probably not a very visited site on the internet. You, you you Google gird up your loins. There will be some pictures of what it means to gird up your loins. And what it means, you, you take your robe and you tie it here and you take the, the other part of the robe and you pull it up and you tuck it in your belt and you pull it up and you fasten it tightly. So, so your flowing robes that could trip you become running shorts where you can move with great dexterity and freedom. So, so he, he's saying... Gird up or, or, or prepare, listen, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. Turn, turn your robes into running shorts. I've thought about this. How, how do we turn, I'm going to give you just a few things. How do we turn our robes into running shorts as we build ourselves on the hope that Peter's been talking about? Let me give you three things. Number one. If I'm going to turn my robes into running shorts and go hard for the Lord, I must remember and rehearse the great things of God. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you. See, remind you Of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. Peter says, You're established, but I'm going to continue to remind you. I I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Just stop. How can you be stirred up emotionally? I need to be stirred up emotionally. It's easy to just become flat. Phlegmatic. How, how can I be stirred up emotionally? Peter answered, You remind yourself of the great mercy that's found in the reality of all that Jesus is for you. And, and the character formation that the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what he's talking about in chapter 1. So stir up by way of reminder. So as we get together and we have our, on the Lord's Day and our community groups, we should be stirred up by remembering the greatness of Christ. Since I, since I know he says, verse 14, that I am about to put off the body, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to recall these things. So it's, it's remind, stir it up, remember, recall. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, this is the second letter that I'm writing to you indeed in, in both. Of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And so, so i read this and i say, when we get together, we should remind each other of the greatness of what Christ has done for us. And always go back to the cross. Always go back to the forgiveness of sin. There's a little definition that we've been using for disciple. It goes like this. A disciple is a forgiven sinner who constantly learns of Jesus in repentance and faith. See, understand, forgiven sinner must always be first. As we speak the gospel and speak living the Christian life, we must always go back to the glory and wonder of the cross. Listen, you are a forgiven sinner. Forgiven sinner, that's primary. You always go back to to, to these building blocks. Eternally loved in the counsel of the triune God, known by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you, protected by the power of God through faith, At the second coming receiving praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus and, 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 and Christ, the fulfillment of all the promises. See, that, that, that's what stirs you up. That's what pushes you forward to glory in the gospel of grace. So I say to you, I say to you, you gird, you prepare your minds for action. But by remembering these things, by being stirred up, are you stirred up? There's a man named Karl Barth, was one of the finest scholars of the 20th century, a Swiss theologian who stood against Hitler. 1962, he's at the University of Chicago. And the story goes that during the question and answer session, Carl Bart, who's an old man and a scholar in every sense of the word, was asked, in all of your years of learning and all of your multiple volumes of theology, what is the most significant thing you've ever heard or ever learned? He said, the most significant thing I've ever learned is a little song I learned at the knee of my mama. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think he's right. If I don't get stirred up, I glory in the gospel. So I remember and I rehearse. I think it means you get up in the morning. That's my next point. But you get up in the morning and you maybe pray through the armor of God or you quote the Apostles' Creed as you go to the bathroom. This is what I'm building my life on today. Not the sinking sand of cultural issues. Not on my health. Not on my acceptance with my friends. Not on the way I'm loved by my contemporaries. I'm building my life on the rock-solid reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the cross of Christ. Number two, we focus as I, as I read through this book, I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm struggling with some issues. I'm, one of the issues I struggle with is, and I've asked several people, is it, is it more difficult to follow Christ today than it has been in the generations past? And, and, and in one way, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, in another way, absolutely not. So I, I think you can go either way. But the reason I say at times, listen to me, absolutely, is that we live in this incredible culture where your attention is demanded at every turn. I mean, it's hard to get away from noise and notifications and being pinged to tell you that, you know, the stock market just went up 10 points, ping, ping, ping. You know, so somebody said something crazy, ping, ping, ping. Um, I mean, it goes on. I, I, you, you, can't, you can't get away from it. So that's why I, I, I say to me and you that, that before we look at any device in the morning, we well, look at this. We get our hearts fixed. It's, it's, it is difficult. You have to fight. You have to fight to have a fixed mind. You do. So, so I, I would just, I would just say that. Just, this is what we do. There's a guy named George Mueller who was a, a well known man in the 19th century. He was a pastor for 66 years at the same church. 66 years. He was a guy who had an orphanage with a couple thousand kids for 40 years. A man of faith. And, and this is what he said. Two quotes by Mueller. First is, he says, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. So our, our desire is, before we see anybody else's face, we see the face of Christ. He said, there's a quote in the bulletin, he said this, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation upon it. What, what is the food for the inner man? Not prayer, but the Word of God. And not the simple reading of the Word of God, so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe. But considering what we read and pondering over it and applying it to our hearts is called meditation. But listen, church, you got to focus. you got to focus. you got to get up in the morning and say, okay, this is my main thought I'm going to carry through the day. Watch and be careful, Luke 21, for example. Just, just you stop and say, I, I need to be watchful and be careful because the Lord's going to come at a time you don't expect him. That's what I read yesterday in Luke 21. You, you go through the day and you say, this is my thought. This is what I'm thinking about. And you mull it over in your mind. But it's a fight. But listen, prepare your minds for action. Gird up your mind for action. Think well in an age of incredible distraction. Thirdly, understand there's a glad pursuit. There is a glad pursuit. In Luke 16, this is what Jesus says, verses 14 and following. He says, says the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things and they sneered at him. Imagine sneering at Jesus. You're talking about using your money in a good way. And so Christ said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The Pharisees use their religion as a platform to shout their worth. And Christ says this, the law and the prophets were until John... And since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, listen to me. Forces his way into it. It's the way ESV translates it. And I I read that, and I think about the holy violence. More about that next week. But the holy violence with which we must press into the kingdom. Pressing the knowledge of Christ. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen through quiet nothingness. It happens as we think and we energetically pursue. We, we, we press into the kingdom. Augustine's one of my favorite guys. He died in 430, a long time ago. But he wrote a book called The Confessions. And in chapter 9, he deals with how Christ saved him. And this is what he says. Let me just read some of it. Oh, Jesus Christ, my helper and redeemer, how sweet did it suddenly seem to me to shrug off those sweet frivolities, hear that, sweet frivolities, and how glad I now was to get rid of them. I had been loath to let them go, but it was you who cast them out from me. You are real and all-surpassing sweetness. Golly, this is good stuff. You cast them out and enter yourself to take their place, you who are lovelier than any pleasure, more lustrous than any light, loftier than any honor. I, I, just, I just stopped and said, you know, first of all, Augustine said that, that they're, they're, the world has sweet frivolities. They're sweet. They're sweet frivolities. They're not, some of them aren't wrong. Some of them are sinful. Some of them just, they just take our attention. But then he steps back and he says, but then I experienced you. Oh, living God, in your triune glory, you are real and all-surpassing sweetness. You who are more lovely than any pleasure. And I stop, do I really believe that? Have I really tasted that? Do I really know that? Do I, do I see that Christ is glorious beyond all measure? And I think if I'm going to gird up my, my mind for action, then I've got to understand there's a glad pursuit that, that, that I'm involved in. As a a follower of Christ, our real all surpassing sweetness. I I want you to taste the sweetness of Christ and the joy. There's no hymn that says, I am resolved, no longer to linger charmed by the world's delights, things that are higher, things that are nobler. These have allured my sight. Therefore I will hasten to him. Hasten glad and free. I love the hymn because I'm no longer want to be charmed by the world's delights. The world has delights. that are not ultimately satisfied, but they're out there. They're, they're fun. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured, captured my sight. And I, I think if, if I'm going to prepare my, my mind for action and, 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 and be the person I need to be, I need to see the, the beauty and the grandeur and the greatness of Jesus Christ. So, turn your robes into running shorts, gird your minds for action. Then he says this this is the other supporting link be sober minded. To be sober-minded means that you don't run off in 10,000 directions. It means that you're focused. You understand the things that really count. You don't get involved in activities, even if they're well-meaning. The things that really count are the eternal things, and you press into them, and you speak with grace and dignity, and you care for people. And 1 Peter 3 talks about being prepare your minds for action. So prepare your minds for action, as you're sober-minded. Prepare your minds for action. First Peter three fifteen says this. He says, "In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, but do this with gentleness and respect." I love this verse. I'll always be prepared. To give an answer for your hope. Have your minds prepared. See, have your minds prepared. And do this with gentleness and respect. With grace and kindness. Prepare your minds for action. Then we go to sober minded. Listen, talk about action. So i am thinking about this and maybe I'm off base. But these are two guys I really like in modern day parlance and, you know, media. Entertainment. This guy is Don Diego de la Vega. Better known as what? Zorro, baby. The other guy is Bruce Wayne. Better known as Batman. Child of God, you have an inner Zorro and an inner Batman. Let me explain. So, Diego Dom de la Vega. California, people living in California are bad dudes. He, he was a Renaissance man, loved horses, loved wine and cheese parties, lo- loved good music, was a cultured Renaissance dude. Everybody, he, he pursued excellence, a, a good guy. People, yeah, he's, he's an okay guy. But they didn't realize that underneath was Zorro. Bruce Wayne. Wayne Enterprises, wealthy, loved Gotham City, gave to entertainment, gave to the arts, did this, did that. People didn't realize he was Batman. The dudes. Now, what I'm saying is this. Do your work with excellence. This is Labor Day weekend. Do your work with excellence. Give it your best shot. Live with dignity and honor. Treat people with respect. Be known as somebody who goes the extra mile. Acknowledge authority and walk under that authority as God-given. We believe that. Be known as a person of incredible integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, James says. But when somebody asks you a question about the faith, or they discuss an issue that would be a Micah 6, 8, 8, 8 issue, where the Old Testament prophet says God has called you to love mercy, to oh, excuse me, to walk in mercy, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God, you give an answer for the hope that you have. There's an inner Batman and Zorro in your life. You see what I'm saying? Yes, we pursue excellence. Yes, we go the extra mile. Yes, we do this. But inside, I'm I'm ready to give an answer. For the hope that I have. That's the people we should be. And then he says this get this now, be sober minded, which means don't run off in a thousand different directions, be self controlled, have clarity of mind. The glorious thing about being so reminded is that we, we look at the Bible and, and we read that men and women are made in the image of God. And it thrills us with joy because every person is worthy of respect and Christian love. No matter how they respond or act, they're still made in the image of God. And, and as, as, as believers in Christ, we step back and say, and God has loved me with an everlasting love and He's worked in my heart. And, and not only that, but He has As as 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one has received a special gift. He's gifted me, therefore, I am responsible. I'm a steward of what he's given to me. And if I've been eternally loved, made in the image of God, I've been given the Holy Spirit, I have been given gifts, I've been given talents, I am a responsible moral agent. Therefore, I don't live for myself. I live for the glory of God. And one of the building blocks Next, last building block is there will be a day when Christ comes again, and the people who have walked in the way of the Lord will receive praise, glory, and honor. That blows my mind. It's incredible. Well done, good and faithful servant. in the way you use your time and your money and your resources, the way you forgave when nobody else was forgiving, and the way that you restored issues, and the way that you cared for people. Unless you're from Philadelphia, I was reading about this man recently. Unless you're from Philadelphia, you probably have not heard of him. I am a historical study nerd. I love books on history. I've never heard of this guy, and I'm a nerd when it comes to history. I was reading about it. The guy's name is John Wanamaker. Tell you a little, bit, a little bit about John Wanamaker. Maybe some, maybe you have heard of him. John Wanamaker in 1850. He's 12 years old. He goes to a jewelry store to buy his mom some a little piece of jewelry. He puts down the money, 1850, 12 years old. And as he's the man is wrapping up the piece into a little box. He sees another piece that costs the same amount. And he says, sir, I would like to get that. And he says, son, it's too late. You've already paid. I'm wrapping it up. I can't do it. And Wanamaker says as he went home that day, he made a commitment to saying, one, one day I'm going to own a store and I'm going to treat people with respect or treat people well. And so he had, he had this credo as a as an entrepreneur. He says, "Return of money if the if the buyer returns goods in injured within ten days, unheard of. A guarantee to each buyer stating the terms of sale. No second price is hidden. And the fourth, any article may be exchanged if desired within two weeks of purchase. All these things were unheard of. So he opened some stores and he made a ton of money. He became in his day what we would call." In our day, a billionaire. He underwrote the, almost the entire ministry of a man named D.L. Moody. He started at least six churches with his money. He opened YMCA's when the YMCA was a gospel-oriented place in India and in Japan, several places in India and Japan and Korea and Russia. He underwrote time after time people, and he, uh, he, he, he taught at the same Sunday school class for 50 years. He was postmaster general of the United States and turned that department around, especially during World War I. He closed his Sunday school class with this prayer every Sunday as they, his, his class read it together. We will make heart room for Jesus, thy son, the name to sinners most dear. We live in the grace of his redeeming love, and our only hope is in the finished salvation at the cross of Jesus at Calvary empty-handed, full of sin, sad of heart, and conscious of aggravated wickedness, we cast ourselves only at the feet of you, dear Christ. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Every Sunday. He died at the age of 84 in 1922 at his funeral. These were his pallbearers. Check this out. The chief justice of the Supreme Court a man by the name of Taft who was a former president, Thomas Alva Edison, two senators from Pennsylvania, the mayor of New York and the mayor of Philadelphia, the three-time Democrat nominee for president, William Jennings Bryan. These were his pallbearers. They closed schools on the day of his funeral so that everyone could stand the street and... Thank the Lord for a man who had blessed the city of Philadelphia enormously. They don't even know who he is today. Less than 100 years later, there's a statue of him, but nobody knows who he is. You go to any place in America, in Philadelphia, do you know John Wanamaker? Never heard of him. Who's he play for? Who's he sing for? See, see, see I read that and I go, you know. John Wanamaker, a billionaire that gave away most of his money, who was an enormous place and who was a patron of the arts, who, who addressed racial reconciliation. John Wanamaker, never heard of him. People forget. Let me encourage you with this. Ten years after you die, no one will know about you, save your kids, and maybe your grandkids. And that's, that's kind of iffy. People forget. They may name a bridge after you or a... I don't know a pillar somewhere but let me tell you who doesn't forget God and the Bible says if you live as unto the Lord on the day of his visitation you will receive praise and honor and glory that blows my little mind people forget you forget? I forget. God doesn't. See, and that, that, that causes me, causes you to be so reminded. It's not just, "Live today, gone tomorrow, forgotten, boom, 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 we're out of here." No, th- there is a God who knows, who's gifted, and who says, "Give an account, with glory and joy, but give an account. So, church, therefore, see, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the hope of that grace. So, so, so hope that carries you. As you think about a new month. What would the Lord call you to do to step further into the knowledge and the light of Christ? May God give us the grace to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we are um, thankful for the, for the clear teaching of the Bible. Thank you that uh, those we can pick up the Bible, and because of the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit, we can read it and we get it. So, as we get it, I pray we would live it. I pray that in a in, in a culture that says uh, so often that up is down and down is up and in is out and out is in and that 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 reality is what everyone defines it to be. I pray we would stand and. With dignity and love, say no, reality is what God says. And and I I really pray that you would push us and cause us to step out. I I pray, Lord, that because of the building blocks of the gospel of grace, that we would be people who prepare our minds for action and who are self-controlled so that we can fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us of the revelation of Jesus. So God, forgive us for being more wrapped up in sports and school starts, as good as these things are, um, and and current issues, more wrapped up in those things than we are on the eternal realities of the living God. And I thank you, Lord, that long after When we're gone and people have forgotten us, five or ten years after we breathe our last, there is a glorious triune God who knows us and who loves us, and we will receive praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes again. Blows my mind. But I thank you for that. So change us. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.